Welcome to Canaan Bound Podcast, episode 31. I'm Philip Wells, and it is my privilege to be your host for this episode. We begin today with God's Word for You, with Pastor Tim Smith. God's Word for You, Job 9, verses 14 to 20. Job is still responding to his friend Bildad. One of the things Bildad suggested was that Job's appeal for mercy in chapter 8, verse 5, and Job wonders how that could ever be done. How then, he says, could I dispute with him? How can I find words to argue with him? Though I were innocent, I could not answer him. I could only plead with my judge for mercy. Even if I summoned him and he responded, I do not believe he would give me a hearing. So Job says, how can I ask for mercy? His words in verse 15 here are difficult to understand. Is Job thinking or saying that he thinks he is innocent or that he isn't innocent? The NIV, we're reading the new NIV 11 here, takes Job's words to mean that Job isn't innocent. But many translators don't like that thought. I I think it's probably correct, though. I think Job doesn't deny his sinfulness, only that there is no particular sin that should have brought on all of his sufferings. Now, we encounter the word judge quite a bit in the Bible, um, as in the book of Judges with people like Deborah and Samson. Samuel was also one of the judges. Here, the judge is not the same word, shofet, uh, or rather, it, it is the same word, it's shofet, but it takes on a role in the courtroom, in the role we would expect as the one who hears a legal case and makes a decision. So how, Job wonders, how could I enter the court when God is the one who is my judge? Verse 17, he would crush me with a storm and multiply my wounds for no reason. The word for storm here, it's not the same one we saw in the beginning of the book that claimed the lives of Job's children. That was a ruach gadolah, a mighty wind in Job 119, a hot eastern Sirocco kind of a wind. But here Job is talking about the se'ara, the tempest or the gale which is the word we'll see again in chapter 38, the storm out of which God will speak. The spelling is a little bit different. The, the S is a shin here rather than a samic, but the meaning is identical. The kind of storm is also the one mentioned in Nahum 1 verse 3. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm. Nahum is probably referring back to these very passages in Job. Job knows that it isn't the storm itself he should fear, but the holy God who cannot tolerate wrong. That's Habakkuk 1.13. No one who has any wickedness or sin can abide with God. We learn that in Psalm 5. So how can we even stand up to God's questioning and bearing the guilt of the sin we inherit from Adam and Eve? In Adam, Paul says, all die. We can't stand alone before God. Job goes on. He would not let me catch my breath, but would overwhelm me with misery If it is a matter of strength, he is mighty. If it is a matter of justice, who can challenge him? Even if I were innocent, my mouth would condemn me. If I were blameless, it would pronounce me guilty. Finally, Job tries out the only three defenses he can imagine. He can't even imagine catching his breath in such a court. First, he has seen legal matters settled with nothing but strength. This is never fair or lawful, but too often it proves to be the way that the law goes, where a good loud voice bends the truth, as when Potiphar's wife convicted Joseph with a lie in Genesis 39. Secondly, Job could appeal to justice, but 
How could he possibly prove his case against the Almighty God who sees everything and knows everything? We stand guilty before God from birth, and so even when Job thinks of his third possible defense, his innocence, he realizes that he'll stumble into sin with his mouth anyway. By stripping away all of these defenses, God is teaching Job to rely on his sovereign Lord. We have no other defense, no other advocate, and no other judge. Without God, we also have no other hope. But with Christ, our hope becomes a certainty. Through Jesus, we have forgiveness, we have pardon, and peace. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's Word for you. Next, we join Branch's band with A Mighty Fortress. A mighty fortress is our God, a trusty shield and weapon. He helps us free from every need that has us now or taken the old Forever. 
And now it's time for Freedom in Christ with Pastor Mark Falk. Galatians 1, 18-24 They praised God because of me. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Later I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching to faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. What a turnaround from hater to apostle. It was hard to believe at first. Ananias was sent to Paul early on in Damascus. At first he did not want to go. But in time it became clear. Paul was not a plant, not an undercover agent for rabid Pharisees and anti-Christian zealots. He was for real. In truth, every child of God is a turnaround story. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were once dead in transgressions and sins. The very first step in being alive as a Christian is knowing that you are dead. That happened to Paul on the road to Damascus and then under the loving guidance of Ananias. The dead man was baptized and became alive in Christ. So did I. So did every Christian. The waters of baptism drown the stubborn old man and create a new man of faith through the word and promise of God. People may not change, but God can and regularly does change people from the inside out. Thus it was with Paul. Three years after his conversion, it has become clear Believers heard and believed that he is one of us. Thus begins the career of arguably the greatest of the apostles. He has not walked with Jesus, but Jesus has come to him. The power of the Holy Spirit has moved this man from the dead to the living column. Paul's considerable talents and zeal now become servants of a new master. In fact, Paul was not afraid to call himself a slave of Christ and to encourage us to think this same way. What a paradox. Freed from the obsessive compulsion to keep the law of Moses and all the additions piled on this law by rabbis and teachers, Paul puts his freedom to work as a willing slave of the one who freed him. Totally free, but striving to be the best slave he could be. It's a wonder that they praised God because of me. We too praise God for what he has done through Jesus and for what he has done in communicating our freedom from sin and guilt and death through Paul. Jesus has paid the price. Paul has proclaimed this redemption more clearly than any other. We are the heirs of this. We praise God for Paul. Perhaps we do not praise God as we ought for those who in our lives have been Paul to us. Perhaps we think Paul was the last to be persecuted for the work of proclaiming Jesus. Fellow pastor sat with me the day before last. He recounted the restraining orders that he received for preaching Christ, for calling sinners living in sin to repentance and life. He told the story of Pastor so-and-so, one of our Wells missionaries in a Muslim territory. A gun at his head, a Muslim thug asked him if he believed and preached Jesus. This is the day I go to meet him, he thought. But Muslim neighbors shouted that the army was coming, and Pastor 
whose name shall remain unknown to you, lives to preach on. But the one who threatened his life made it clear, I will return. Do we praise God for these men? For faithful pastors who are often slandered and hated and opposed. For what? For the faithful preaching of law and gospel. The world still has men like Paul. The world should love and honor and respect such as Paul, but it does not. Why not? The preaching of sin still bites. Even the gospel angers unbelievers. For implicit in the good news is the clear message that apart from Jesus, only hell awaits. You need Jesus. These are fighting words for many. But we are not the world. We know those who have preached Christ to us, taught us in seminary or Bible class or confirmation class. Let us praise God for them. Occasionally I call an old professor. I ask a question about Greek or Hebrew. And I thank him. These men deserve my thanks. And God deserves our praise. And now we join Pastor David Beckman with a passage and prayer. Job 19, 25-27 I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. Dear Savior and Redeemer, how alone we sometimes feel, imprisoned by our own suffering, abandoned by friends and loved ones, far removed from your loving touch and your healing power. Help us to understand that we're not alone in these things. Your servant Job experienced pain and suffering that's unimaginable to most of us. Yet you guided him to find hope in your promises. And what a hope it was! You made him sure that he would see you, his own personal Redeemer, who would return in glory at the end of the world to stand over his grave and call him out with resurrected flesh. What an amazing promise! Give us that same confident hope. Help us to believe that you, Lord Jesus, bought us with your own blood to be your children forever. As our bodies grow weary and fail, give us joyful excitement about the endless future you have promised, a future in which we will have new bodies that will see your glory and experience your personal endless care in heaven's grand reunion. In all our dark days of loneliness and suffering, let the promised vision of that glory make us certain that the best is yet to come, and we will see it with our own eyes. Come, Lord Jesus, and take us to our promised home. It is because of your great love that we ask this. Amen. And now, I'd like to take you back in time with a Wells Mission blog update from October 13, 2011. It's called Man on the Street. This story about finding spiritually meaningful ways to reach out to those in abject poverty in India was received by a Wells-friendly counselor to our sister church in India. 
Man and his cot. I met a man who lives on the street. Not in a house. Not in a hut. Just on the street. This man has a cot, which serves as a bedroom, living room, and dining room. A tarp covers it when it rains. Sometimes he goes for a short walk. Sometimes he entertains guests, such as his tiny granddaughter or great-granddaughter. One can't be sure. But most of the time, he's just there, on his cot in the street. I saw him when visiting his town. I passed by his home a few times. He never smiled or looked me in the eye. Not too friendly, that man on the street. I began to wonder about this mysterious man. Why was he there? Why wasn't he taken care of by his country's social safety net? I found out there isn't one. Why didn't his relatives take him in? Like the little girl's parents. They probably live in a small hut with no room for him. Why doesn't somebody do something to help him? Good question. Tough answers. I found out there were some people doing something for him. Some little people. And those little people are believers in Jesus. They attended a Christian supported by the wells. They stopped and tell the old man Bible stories. Out of the lips of children you have ordained praise to silence the foe. Psalm 8, 2. Maybe he'll be in heaven because these little missionaries, GLS kids. So I began to think, what can I do? Maybe an act of kindness? He seems to be aware of the connection I have with the school children. Maybe I can show him that those stories about Jesus told by the children make a difference in the lives of adults. So my wife and I decided that next time we were in town and ordered out food, we'd pack a plate and take some down to him. So he got some shepaloo from us, spicy fish. The next morning he smiled. The first time I had seen that, nodded, and seemed to say, Thank you. I prayed that the man on the street makes the connection between stories about Jesus and acts of love. I pray that man on the street will be in heaven. Who is the man on your street? How can you show him Jesus' love? For more mission blog updates, including a continuation of this story, Posted on July 12, 2013, you can visit blogs.wells.net. We close today with Tracy Fedke and Let Us Ever Walk with Jesus.
Listening to episode 31 of Canaan Bound Podcast. This podcast was first shared in July of 2013. Visit CanaanBoundPodcast.com to learn how you can support the ministry of Wells and the artists featured in this podcast. Once again, we would like to thank Branches Band and Tracy Fedke for sharing their music with us this week. Again, my name is Philip Wells. It was a privilege to be your host for this episode. We encourage you to visit wells.net to find a Wells ministry location near you. Thank you for listening, and may God bless your week.